September 13th, the Friday the 13th edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, round three of the DNC debates. Bernie on campus and the DNC's thumb on the scale. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Thomas Nelson of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, round three of the debates. Like Andrew Yang, we've been wondering why the DNC would have a presidential candidate debate when there's a football game on. I have to say, however, that a week two game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Carolina Panthers didn't keep me from watching the, the 10 20 Wow, that's hard to say. 10, 20, 20 Democratic <laughs> presidential hopeful. Sounds like an oil. You know, I'll take the 10, 20, 20. <laughs> 10, 10, 20, 20, 5W30. Yeah. <laughs> a little STP on that. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about that debate. <laughs> yeah, um, Todd, winners and losers, Amy, or? Uh, you know, I, I think um, I was sort of going in looking for maybe Kamala Harris to kind of have a breakout debate, you know, you look at the polls and you've got the the Biden, Bernie, Warren double digits group and then you've got, you know, Harris and Buttigieg and and others that are, you know, in single digits still. So I I thought maybe this would be a chance for it. it didn't it didn't seem like that happened though. I think uh, I think Elizabeth Warren did well. I think uh I think, you know, at at times it, it was the Biden uh, debate performance was very mixed. At times he was he was Good, and then there were the times where he stumbled or forgot words or uh, said things that weren't necessarily called Bernie the president. <laughs> called Bernie the president. That was an interesting, an interesting moment. Uh, but I, you know, I think Harris had a few moments, but I don't think she had the performance that maybe she needed to catapult her chances here. And uh, you know, I, I think Buttigieg did a good job. Obviously, I, a lot of people who watch the debate, including myself, I was following, you know, on social media, which is what we do now. Mm -hmm. We watch a debate and we watch Twitter at the same time. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Castro's attacks on, on Biden uh, didn't go as well, I, I think, as he hoped. He was, he was sort of chastised on social media for some of the, uh, for some of his assertions. But uh, all in all, I think having just the 10 candidates in one debate was, you know, cutting this from six hours of debating to down to three was nice, and I think they got into some substantive issues, and they clearly have some differences over issues such as you know healthcare and and immigration and um, many of the many of the big issues. I also was struck by Harris's approach last night because it seemed like she needed a really strong performance, and yeah. I think what struck me was her opening statement talking about, hey, you know, we have to beat Donald Trump. Well, duh, everybody knows that. Uh, the debate seems to be more about the differences between the people on the stage, not between Democrats and Donald Trump. I, and, and, you know, I think we've all talked to enough people on the campaign trail that everybody agrees they want to beat Donald Trump, whatever it takes to beat Donald Trump. So, I, I think what people are looking for is not somebody to say, hey, I want to beat Donald Trump, but somebody who says, you know, this is why I'm the candidate who can beat Donald Trump. And it, I, I don't think she did that. I think as the debate went on, she made some good arguments. She, she you know, did, did fine. But I just thought she, that opening yeah. statement was sort of like her focus was not in the right place. Thomas, um, let's bring you into this discussion. Uh, what's your takeaway from the third debate uh, uh, of this long contest? 
Well, I was really happy to finally hear a debate. You know, I think before they really got into the, uh, the nitty gritty of the issues when it comes down to health care and, you know, you know, gun control. They, they didn't just have talking points. They really went into, uh, you know, into depth on those topics. And it wasn't so much, uh, you know, people kind of when, you know, during this during the previous debates, it was. They, they kind of went over talking points. They would say, I'm for, you know, universal health care or public option. And uh, during this debate, you actually heard them kind of go really deep into policy. So I think overall, I think the, the watchers of the debate were the winners on this. I don't think it's going to move the move the meter one way or the other toward one candidate. I think we're probably going to see, you know, the polls remain the same. But I think what we get what we got from this debate is perhaps the the American ideal of an informed electorate about where candidates stand specifically and in detail on on issues ranging from you know uh, Beto O'Rourke going about you know going and talking with uh, uh, Cory Booker in regards to gun control and where you know where they stand where they stand on that and where they cha- and how those positions have changed or moreover um, you know kind of a, a discussion on to immigration and you know, uh, people defending their previous positions. It was really interesting how I think everybody was sharper mm-hmm. uh, last night and, mm-hmm. and, and and sharper with each other in many ways. Um, you know, uh, Julian Castro in his opening statement talked about we're not going to win with old ideas. And it was like, mm, I wonder who he's talking yeah. about. <laughs> what, what could you, what, what could yeah. you possibly yeah. mean? Yeah. And, and then <laughs> later when he went after uh, uh, Biden saying, did you forget what you said two minutes ago? Um, afterwards, as people were analyzing this, they said he was clearly wrong in what he was trying <laughs> yeah. to say. But the optics were good for him. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought he had a, a good, yeah. strong performance overall. And, and I don't know, you know, we keep using that word performance, and pro- that's probably the wrong word to use. But I, I felt that he was very strong. Um, I'm not sure that Beto is back. Um, he yeah, was strong on the guns. It but seemed like that. That you know, no. this, he's he was able to reintroduce himself a little bit through that issue and he you know he was obviously from El Paso and was strong on during that period and got a lot of attention what, one thing that was interesting to me was that uh, you know Elizabeth Warren is a top tier candidate and I don't think anybody laid a glove on her I mean Bernie was criticized several times Biden of course mm-hmm. was criticized but she you know turned in her typical strong performance with her plans and her details but she was not the target of any of any particular attacks last night I think you're right yeah I don't remember anybody going after her yeah um it 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 was uh, again one of those situations where i think there were 34 34 minutes into the debate um before beto o'rourke was called on um you know and and it was quite a while before amy klobuchar and andrew yang those people i mean for the first half hour of the debate they were pretty much invisible um, did, did either of you get to Andrew Yang's website to try to get that $1,000 <laughs> <laughs> bonanza? No, no, I did not. Well, you know, he said he was going to do something that, that had never been done. <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds yeah. like he might have run afoul of campaign finance well, rules. But, we'll <laughs> but, you know, he, he's done that a couple times. I mean, he's gone to people and, and given them their freedom benefit. Um one of the other things that struck me about this debate was after this b- very long discussion about uh, Medicare for all and health care, and then they they went to the topic of race, and it was like, oh, here we have a black reporter. You asked some questions about race. It was just yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> does this look bad or, or I don't know. 
you know, uh-huh. it, it's, you know, it's easy to criticize from the cheap seats, I guess. Um, it was also an hour and 20 minutes before Iowa was mentioned, so uh, I felt slighted. Yeah, well, that was I, – I think there was a lot of outrage over that. I was, I was outraged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> outraged. And, and, and uh, this – probably a lot of people wouldn't have noticed this, but uh, when Kamala Harris talked about our babies, uh, it, it sort of struck me funny because anyone who follows the Iowa legislature and K.O. Abdul Samad knows he always talks about our babies. Every debate is about mm. our babies. Mm. And so I, I don't know if he's advising her or uh, she's, <laughs> she's channeling a K.O. Mm. But um, related to this, I guess, is sort of um, a group of what I would call uh, Iowa Democratic Party elders um, have are speaking out about the debates and how the DNC they feel uh, is influencing this campaign, um, and I'm writing about it for this weekend. Folks like Tom Miller, the Attorney General, Mike Fitzgerald, Ken Sager, the President of the Iowa Federation of Labor, um, Dave Nagel, a former uh, State Party Chairman and, and Congressman, um, are Dave Nagel was saying he's contacting the candidates who weren't on the stage last night and encouraging them to stay in the race um, and, and similar comments from the other folks who are, are sort of taking this up. They feel like the DNC is putting their thumb on the scale by winnowing the field, which should be the role of Iowa and New Hampshire or South Carolina and, and Nevada. Um, Todd, is this sort of an Iowa versus the DNC argument just sort of I mean, almost a part of every caucus campaign uh, where Iowans are trying to protect their turf. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I sympathize with the argument that these party elders are making. I mean, the, the debate, the, the, the limits that the DMC of DNC has placed on debate participation is clearly having a role in winnowing the field. Uh, I mean, National Democrats would say, well, we had, you know, two dozen candidates and we needed to just from a logistical standpoint, we needed to figure out how to have debates that, that you know, were watchable and that candidates got more than 30 seconds to speak and all of that. Uh, you know, you could argue that the, that the thresholds they're using maybe aren't the perfect thresholds, uh, but, you know, I, I, I get their point also. I it, This reminds me a little bit of, you know, when the Republicans had the straw poll and there was an argument, you know, is the straw poll winnowing the field when the, the caucuses are supposed to do that? And so they, they basically quit having the straw poll finally, but uh, I, I think this is an unusual situation. I don't know that, you know, next time around, if there's, you know, if, if, if there's a Democratic caucus, that there's going to be this many hopefuls, and maybe this is kind of a one-shot deal with Trump in the White House. But uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's good for them to emphasize to these candidates that are on the debate stage that there is still an audience in Iowa that they can talk to and they can still make a point to. I mean, Tom Miller is backing Steve Governor Steve Bullock, and and so that's probably one of the reasons he's weighing in on this. Bullock wasn't on the debate stage, hasn't been on a debate stage yet, or maybe he was on one. One, the sec. It seems like he was, was in. He was, he was in mm-hmm. one uh, back when they were having two nights yeah. of yeah. debates. Uh, but yeah, I I think uh, you know I think that they're right that these candidates should stick around and make their case. But uh, I also look at the polls here, and I don't think any of the candidates that have dropped out so far were necessarily doing very well here. So even in Iowa, after yeah. you know campaigning here for months and months, so and, and of course the argument they make is that you know look at John Kerry, he was trailing in the polls in 2004 until I mean he wasn't 
I don't think he was at one percent, but he was not leading the pack until the very end of that race. And so it's like you know anything can happen. So sure. you shouldn't eliminate anybody. Um, Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, um, I think we've all heard Democrats say they're having trouble choosing a candidate because there are so many uh, candidates. Um, but are you hearing complaints that there are too many candidates, or, or are Democrats enjoying having so many good candidates with so many good ideas? I think I don't think a lot of uh, you know just um, you know regular everyday Democrats are enjoying this many candidates because I think it's it's creating um, you know when, when you have a, a wealth of choice it it kind of becomes uh, a problem unto itself and I think that's kind of what's happening right now and when in that you have a lot of candidates and they uh, I think the common thing I'm hearing is that I just don't have the time to look up. What these why these candidates stand, so they don't have the time to vet them as a lot of a lot of uh, Democrats just you know who aren't who aren't you know, wildly involved but you know still are reading the paper and watching the debates. They don't have as much time to find out where a lot of these candidates stand and do the research onto all of them that are out there. So I think at the end of the day, they're just you know they're, that's why these are the people that end up supporting people like Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren because they. They don't have the way they see it is that all these people out there are just noise. It creates a lot of noise for for uh, at the everyday Iowan. And you know uh, when it boils down to it, you know even as reporters, we bar- I don't think we have uh, barely enough time to kind of look into an interview and de- you know do a detailed analysis into every single candidate. I mean that's uh, you know it's difficult to do that just because there's so many out there. You know. Um, uh, I think when it boils down to it, uh, you know, you have you have these candidates, uh, and the the DNC bringing only ten of the big ones out there is the equivalent of having you know just um, the Democratic and Republican parties having their candidates, because what we have hundreds of people running, thousands sometimes every year, and we're not hearing from every single one of those candidates, even though they could be viable options, technically. Possibly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Todd, the, d- does it seem a little bit odd uh, that a big tent party like the Democrats, who have caucuses for everyone based on age, race, gender, disability, military service, and, and where they live, um, have a problem with too many candidates? Well, I think, you know, this is Democrats see this as a, a pretty critical election. I mean, they're. They're running against a president who they're vehemently opposed to and, and, and desperate to remove from office, uh, and I think they, you know, they have a strong case to make. But the more candidates there are, the more it sort of gets diluted by this large field of candidates. The harder it is for them to make that case. I think they're anxious to get to a point where they have a good set of candidates who have a good chance of winning for various reasons and have those candidates articulate that voice in a, a smaller pack. That, that has more of an impact. I think that's, and, and so yeah, they're the big tent party, but at this point they've got one big target and I think they wanna, they wanna focus that message on, on it as soon as possible and, and sort of get to, the, get to brass tacks and, and picking a nominee that can, that can carry that forward. All right, well, there'll be another round of, or another debate in October. Um, and I guess Halloween, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. baseball playoffs, Halloween. Yeah. What night's it going to be? <laughs> um, I think 
candidates can qualify, still qualify for that if they get their poll numbers up and, and, and their fundraising numbers where they need to be. So we could go back to two nights, I guess, or a more crowded stage, depending on what, how many. Eleven so far have qualified. Right. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there'll be ten one night and one the next night, I guess. <laughs> I still, I still say they should have bracketed this like a NCAA tournament and had them debate one on one and just keep going through the brackets. Well, I mean, it did strike me last night as I was thinking about this that you know instead of saying, "Oh, we have twenty candidates, so we'll go ten and 10, you know, what what if you went? Well, I suppose it'd be hard to get the networks to go along with it. To, but I mean, if you if you did you know six at a time, so that Everybody was getting, you know, uh, ample time to talk, uh, yeah. or you know, and sort of like what you're saying, a bracketing at least the first round. Uh, it's interesting. I've heard candidates refer to the October debates as the finals. You know, like I've made the, or I've made the play, playoffs now. Uh, you know, they've been through the <laughs> the the, uh, <laughs> the round robin. Now I guess we're moving on to the yeah. What do they call it? The round of death. You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the elimination round, yeah. if only. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what they need to do. <laughs> the party elders would not like that. No, they would not. We had elimination round in in October instead of February. Right. Yeah. We're doing it too fast. Thomas, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders was up in uh, your neighborhood uh, earlier this week at the University of Northern Iowa. Polls have consistently shown that Sanders, who will be 79 come Election Day 2020, gets much of his support from younger voters. What's the appeal there? The free pizza or the free tuition? Or well, I think, um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the youth uh, people, a lot of the students that were at Bernie Sanders' rally at the University of Northern Iowa were just really excited and were previous Bernie supporters during 2016. And I think it, you know... To a certain extent, you're not Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie Sanders's campaign has this very uh, unique strategy that they used last time, and that they're I think they're trying to use again this time is that they're trying to have a political revolution, and I think that appeals to a lot of younger voters, and that it's a way to upend the system because the, sy- the system that they have uh, experienced so far has basically let, uh, lent them about you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of student loan debt and, you know, made it so that they, when they when they get out of college, their health insurance costs will be skyrocketing and that they'll be paying more and more every year. Um, and so I think, you know, this really appeals to the, the students that are there, I think, and, and he kind of plays to that. And all these students who were there were, were supporting him in 2016, who heard about what his message was in 2016. And they're carrying that over. And he's kind of kept that youth vote. And I don't know what it is. Um, you would not think, uh, you know, a 79, an almost 79-year-old man from, with, a, with a Brooklyn accent would be able to, you know, get all these students so amped up. But he has. And I think it's his messaging that he worked on that he had in 2016 that really kind of, you know, made that difference. And that has continued in those you know, I had uh, I interviewed two people that had caucused for Bernie Sanders in 2016, and they were at the rally, and they were they they would they wouldn't say whether or not they were going to you know, caucus for him this year, but they were they were strongly considering him. Consider you know they wanted to look at the other 24 candidates, but they were strongly considering 
Bernie Sanders as a, you know, as an option. And then after the rally itself, a lot of students who, who it was going to be their first time voting and, you know, attending a caucus, they were, they were excited to, uh, they were excited to vote for him. They were excited about his message. They, they felt that he was really speaking to them. And, uh, and I think that kind of is, uh, you know, that's kind of been Bernie Sanders is, uh, you know, that's, that's been his big points lately. That's how he's he's gone to he's gone to these universities and he's held these rallies and he, you're seeing hundreds of students attending these rallies. And I think maybe if you took out the pizza, you maybe might only see 300 people. But the that's still a lot of people that are there that are really that are pumped up and ready to vote and get involved. So is this a case of where uh, too many options uh, hurts uh, the Sanders I could campaign? I could absolutely see that eventually happening, but I don't think it's, I don't think that's happened yet. And I think the polls have, have definitely shown that that Sanders, you know, is consistently coming in third or second place to Joe Biden. And I think that's due to that that student support that uh, that students are kind of staying with him. And I think. It's been divided a little bit between Elizabeth Warren and uh, Bernie Sanders to a certain extent, but I think at the uh, at the end of the day, I think you know the the deluge of candidates has not uh, has not kept them from you know a lot of these people from being excited about Bernie Sanders. There's one fellow in Waterloo that has attended almost every candidate forum and seen every candidate, but you know when you go and talk to him, like he's like, I'm here and I want to see whether or not any of these candidates are going to match Bernie. And then when Bernie went into the race, he's like, "Well, that's who I'm supporting," and uh, and I think that's 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 been a big reflection about a, a lot of people in this 2020 election so far. It's worth noting that OpenSecrets.com uh, found that as the first major presidential candidate to propose eliminating student debt, Sanders took in one quarter of all students' contributions to Democratic presidential hopefuls. So I, I guess there's some response yeah. there if if they're willing to kick in some money. Um, Also, uh, as we're talking, I was reminded that um, uh, sort of differences between Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, the Iowa Power Poll, which is a non-scientific poll of, um, I guess, community leaders, political leaders, uh, uh, asking them who they think will win the caucuses as opposed to who they want to win the caucuses. Uh, in Iowa, uh, Biden and Warren are leading that, and, and Sanders, uh, uh, the people, number of people who think he'll win the caucuses has, is down in single digits, low single digits, while uh, the same poll conducted in New Hampshire, uh, it's Biden that, <laughs> that is like uh, way down in, in single digits, uh, while uh, Sanders is doing well there. So, uh, interesting. Hmm. Food for thought. Yes. Uh, 
Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it has been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you don't like the show, keep your mouth shut. Send fan mail to <laughs> oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Otto Bongo will take us out. If you know a band or a talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Thomas, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Smoking only on the best dress. I'm cooking for a mile a minute. Look out, folks, don't step in.